so good. Thanks for having having me. We had a great time with uh, your pastors not too long ago. They came to visit us. We spent a couple of days with them. Uh, lots of good food and good conversation uh, together. But it, it is good to be back here. We've been praying for New York City uh, because we have a love for New York. My wife and I, we have a love for New- the city. Um, we As being being part of a missional community in Cyprus for many years, and Sarah's family started that ministry years ago. She's she's um, part of a family that's been, she grew up as a missionary all her life, um, and from her parents and from their family, have, me and many others like me have received this paradigm and this, get, this uh, love for uh, geography, love for cities, love for uh, regions, love for borders, um, so we love praying for different places as God highlights them. And oftentimes when God begins to highlight some uh, a place or a location or city even or a state or a, a country, we just obey. You know, we're like, we, in the natural, we can do, I mean, it doesn't seem like we have any, any impact. You know, our Pastor Charles said the other day we were praying, we we're on a 50-day prayer and fast at, at the church. And he said, um, prayer seems like it's not important. Or it's not effective, but really is, you know, because <laughs> that's really what prayer seems like. In a prayer meeting, it can be hot and fervent, but then if you step back, you're like, wait, you know, how is this making any difference in the world? But it is, and this is the way that God works. We get to partner with Him. Yeah. Um, so we love, we love in that in that grid that's always in our hearts. Um, we we love we love New York City for many reasons. Uh, we love, you guys were saying, you know, this intensity, you love getting out as you can and to be refreshed and come back in. We love coming here to be refreshed, <laughs> um, mostly around food. Uh, so it's good for us to, to be back here, not, not, ju- not just for our love for the city, but our love for your pastors, your, our love for um, this, this church, um, and we have affinity even being called Life Center, and uh, we trust that God is continually building this relationship, you know, between our two communities, um, and he would accomplish his desire for us. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that's on offer. We thank you for this atmosphere of worship, God, that invites your presence, that invites all that you are into our midst, all that you are into who we are this morning, that realigns, redirects our hearts and our minds in you. So we stay in this place of being aligned, looking to you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, all that you are. We want to look and to behold your face and be transformed in this looking, in this beholding. As we open your word, God, I pray that you would come and speak to us. Let your, the entrance of your word bring light and give understanding to the simple. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. You know, where the ministry that we are, other than Life Center, that we're part of, that I was t- talking to you about from Cyprus, uh, it's called Gateways Beyond, and as a kind of like a byline of our, uh, of our ministry, it says Gateways Beyond to help hasten his soon return. And that's what we live for. That, I feel, is like the overarching statement. I can't think of anything greater for us within time and space to believe for that we look to hasten his soon return. And uh, that, past, that, that, that idea or that, uh, that context is taken from 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, before I get into this message, I just feel this inspired in my heart to share and encourage you with. Uh, so there are two messages this morning. 
Second uh, Peter three, it says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, meaning it's talking about the day of the Lord, pretty apocalyptic in the context. Um, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You know, both in our spirituality, but also in our normal day-to-day life as we're engaging with people. We just walked into Starbucks, got coffee. Everything is, our paradigm of life is so different, but I was able to be kind and have a kind word on my tongue and on my lips for the people serving me. I'll say, thank you so much, ladies. And they just looked at me because simple things go a long way. The godliness part of us can transform any atmosphere. Not just the spiritual part, not just the spiritual part, you know, to, for life. In, uh, in 2 Peter 1, it said for life and godliness. Yeah. So not just the godliness part, but for the normal life as well. That as we carry the presence of God, anything I present to somebody can transform their ap- the atmosphere and their life. It's simple things. When I used to be, be uh, work at an investment banking firm years ago, my first job out of college I would have audience with the partners who were earning like 17 million each twice a year. Why? I didn't, you know, I didn't have any wisdom to tell them. I didn't have a Bible on my table. I didn't quote Bible verses. Something in me was attractive. I'm, I can under, I understand now looking back. I was just a kid. I was I, out of college, knew nothing, you know, couldn't figure out start from end. And I didn't have wisdom to tell them, but I was counseling them with their marriages, their lives, their, their, their not the ministry, their, their business. And uh, this is how God works in us as we carry the presence. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And this is what it says in verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, which is profound, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and on and on it goes. You see, it's difficult for us to talk about the end day, the last days, when he's going to come. It seems like, oh, are we talking about the book of Revelations now? I'm an expert in the book of Revelations. I've studied it, and I, have, I can give you a comprehensive understanding of the last days in the book of Revelations. Who would like to know that? Who would like to know? Comprehensive. Everything you need to know about this book, you will never have a question anymore. Are you ready? The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is it. This is how the book begins. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary. Everything else grows dim in the light of who he is. We are called to be people in every season to be looking for the revelation of Jesus in our midst. Come on. The trials and, and the, the circumstances of our life and our, of our nation, of the world right now, do not dictate the health of the body of Christ or the health of you and I. We are called to be revelators like John, revelators of Jesus no matter what goes on around us. Whether you have your mask on or mask off, whether you're voting left or you're voting right, whether what, what, where you stand in life, in society right now, you and me, we are called to be revelators of the person of Jesus. He's still healing. He's still delivering. He's still counseling. He's still speaking to us. He's still comforting. Come on. He's still saving. Thank you, Lord. The kingdom of God is fully operational. God is still at work. The angels of God are still at work in and among our lives. God is not quarantined. 
He didn't call his angels back and say, guys, come, you can't, you're crowding New York City. You can't be there. You can't be out. And 250 angels can't show up on the street, can't show up at Life Center. No, they are fully at work. There may be fewer among us now, but they are packed here. Waiting. When we started praying during this time, I saw this vision of Jesus. He was carrying these like scrolls, folded paper, and some of them were falling down. We began to pick them up. There were mandates for this time. And we started, that's how we started our 50-day prayer and fasting. With this vision that he is fully purposeful during this time. What manner of people are we ought to be? In godliness and holy conduct, looking for and, not just looking for, Hastening his soon return. Come on. We are called to hasten his soon return. You know, if people are, if, if you're not married, you're, you're always praying, Lord, just wait two more years. Let me get married first. That's okay. That's a, that's a sweet prayer. You can keep praying that. But we're called to hasten. Maybe as you pray to hasten his return, maybe God will hasten the person to come to you as well. Whoa. Mind blown. This is who we're called to be. The, his return. He says no one knows when he's going to return. You know why? Because he, it's not a date on the calendar. It's not marked. This is a set time. He's looking for those people on the face. He's looking to and fro to see who's we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Who are the people who will engage with God's eternal plan on the earth and hasten his return among us? Come on. So I'm not going to a date. The date is coming to us. The way we live and the way that we, we operate as believers on the earth, we hasten his return on the earth. It's so profound. And it goes on. Looking for and hastening the coming day of God. And in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Wow. This is the word of the Lord for you this morning. This is not in my message. This is the word of the Lord for this church this morning. We're called to be a people who are revelators of Jesus, who are called to be people who... Hasten his soon return. If that is your desire, if that is the way you're posturing your lives and your church, then 2 Peter 3, 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. It says be diligent to be found by him in peace. Why would he say that? Because your circumstance will be speaking just the opposite. Your circumstance will be speaking fear. Your circumstance will be speaking, you know, things that you, you can't, I don't know, you know, confusion. Apprehension. Losing all our bearings for life itself. In that context, it's to be diligent to be found in peace. The kingdom of God is this. Righteousness, peace, and Joy in the Holy Spirit. That's a teaser. The in the Holy Spirit part is just a teaser because that identifies joy being part of the Holy Spirit. But then there's two more things. Righteousness and peace. What is peace? 
Jesus is defined, he's called the Prince of Peace. And God in the, in, the first, in, the, in, the, in the first covenant, in the Old Testament, he was known as Adonai Sitkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And so this definition of the kingdom of God is him all together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he says, be diligent to be found in Jesus. Be diligent to be found in peace means to be for us to be found in him. To be found in Christ. To be hidden in Christ is to be hidden in peace altogether. Thank you, Lord. Take a deep breath. I don't know if you're allowed to breathe it out or you can't. That was good, right? Thank you, Lord. And another verse in Philippians, it says, And the peace of God, very familiar, Pastor, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Our circumstances don't dictate the functioning and the overflow of peace. Oh, I'm really troubled. Can you pray for me? I don't have peace. Why? Because these things are happening. These things happen. I lost my job. I'm difficulty at home or, or relationship or what finances, whatever issues that we're dealing with. Can you pray for me? I've lost my peace. That's not how we are to live. I'll read it again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. There goes our social condition right now. It surpasses what we are experiencing. The peace of God is meant to be a supernatural function and overflow in our lives. Surpassing every social and cultural issue that we're dealing with. That surpasses all our understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We always think of peace as something really passive, right? If I could just get away for a vacation for this weekend, find a cabin somewhere with a lake and a boat and I'll have my coffee, that kind of thing. That's where you identify with peace. Peace is meant to function in the midst of a battle. In the midst of strife and struggle and ah, it says, may the peace of God rule, guard your heart and mind. That's my understanding of peace. He's got a shield. He's got a sword. He's fighting. He's guarding that which is precious to God. That which he sacrifices life for. Thank you, Lord. So whatever is talking you out of peace, we are allowing those things to enter our minds and begin to dictate our lives. And he says, let the peace of God realign and re." position our hearts and minds in this season in order that we become the revelators of God. Can you imagine walking through life right now with that peace fully upon us, fully functioning? People will think you're crazy. You can still see when you're smiling. You're like, why are you smiling? This is a crazy guy who comes in here to get coffee every morning. He's always smiling. I don't know what's wrong with him. Thank you, Lord. Man, what a, what a season that we're, that we're living in now where 
Life is so different last time I was here. So different. And we're called to continue to build his kingdom. We're called to be revelators of Jesus and the kingdom of God still advancing. This did not take God by surprise. This is part of the storyline. This is part of his script. Doesn't make any sense. But when things get difficult and darker, he is about to shine brighter than ever before. It's important for us as believers. I know I stay up on the news. We're watching the news every single day to figure out what other catastrophe we have to deal with this week. Decisions as a church, decisions every single week after week after week. And how do we navigate? How do we find ourselves through a, a volatile life that we're living in? I mean, I was trying to figure out politics. How do I, how do I navigate politics? And then I heard Kanye West is running for president. That threw me for a loop because I love his last album. And he's working on a new album with... Dr. Dre, I'm like, oh, man, shucks. Now I have to do like 10 more hours of research. <laughs> Every day there's something new that, be- that, sh- that challenges us. How do we function? How do we navigate our lives as, a, as, as believers? How do we recalibrate? How, we, how do we position ourselves during this time? In Joshua 5, there's this beautiful transaction. This is at the end of... Israel experiencing a supernatural way of life where God for 40 years rained manna every single day. Supernaturally, they got food every morning. Think about this. A whole nation, millions of people received food from literally from heaven. When we pray on Shabbat Friday night, the traditional prayers uh, who gives us bread from heaven. It's remembering that way, that supernatural way of life. So they came to the promised land. Now that they've come into the promised land, manna stopped and they're beginning to eat the fruit of the land. And in this moment, and there, are, there are challenges ahead of them. There's kingdoms rising up against them. And this time, Joshua's troubled because he's in this place of transition. How do I lead a people, a whole generation, who've known nothing but supernatural provision? We've come into a new territory, a new land. There are other kings rising up against us. And he is coming into a place of leadership. And he's saying, how do we navigate these changes? And in that time, 13 and 14, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He was so glad that he saw an angel. I don't know what he, who he thought he was, but he definitely recognized him to be of great influence for Joshua and everything he represented. And the only question Joshua wanted to know is, man, you could switch, you could, you could swing the course of our whole nation right now. All I want to do is please tell me that you're for us. Which side are you on? Are you for us or are you for them? And here is what the angel answers. So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You see, he superseded the available options. Joshua thought there were only two options. Are you for us or are you for them? He says, no. 
The language is so different when we begin to engage angels, when we begin to engage Jesus, when we begin to engage the Holy Spirit. The narrative that is in heaven for us is very different from the narrative that is given to us at this time. Are you for us or are you for them? Have you asked that question recently? Have you wondered that about other people recently? I'm not afraid to talk about the political situation. But when the angel responds to him, he says, no. Wrong question, Joshua. But here's the right answer. I have come as a commander of the armies of God. You see how, how purposeful his answer is because the kingdom of God is moving forward regardless of the lack of answer that Joshua had. Does that make sense? He needed that answer to figure out who would win and how we would move. he would move forward. The angel said, I am moving forward. You want to come with me or not? I have come as a commander because there is another paradigm. There's another storyline being written and I'm come to deliver that storyline. And he didn't qualify. Are you a Democrat or Republican to join this paradigm? He says, I'm come to reveal the will and plan of God. Some of your eyes just got bigger. Are we allowed to say this? With the face covering, I can, I'm only reading eyes. <laughs> you don't realize it, but. From the very beginning, I, I know you're starting Genesis in your Bible study on, two, on Mondays or Tuesdays. And from the very beginning, the very account of creation itself, God begins to work through when things look completely opposite to what we think should happen. The first work of the Holy Spirit is to hover over darkness. He sent the Holy Spirit to this location. And, the, and, the, and the, the account that we get is it was dark, it was empty, and it was void. Dark without form and void. He came to this location. God, can you imagine God's talking to the Holy Spirit? Say, hey, go to this location. I'm going to start this amazing work. You're going to love what I'm about to do. And the Holy Spirit shows up. And it looks around, it's completely dark, without form, and void. I don't know, in that context, I don't know what void even means. It's already dark and without form, and void, meaning nothingness, emptiness, within darkness, within emptiness. And I can imagine the Holy Spirit kind of calling back to heaven and says, God, did you, can you check your GPS coordinates? I think I got the wrong address. Surely this cannot be the place that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And then in that conversation, he says, he begins to speak to darkness and says, let there be light. We're called to be revelators of Jesus. We're called when we see darkness, when we experience that which is void. I mean, I don't even know how we're going to get out of this. That's the moment that we're looking for the sh bright, shining light of God to come. We're in this time. Don't cower and be scared. Church, we're called to position and say, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to do? How is the kingdom going to advance in this moment? Come on. Yeah. We're having conversations with our children. We want to raise up courageous children at this time. 
I want to entertain fear in my house. I want to entertain thoughts that are less than peace. And in that darkness, he speaks, let there be light. And he changes the narrative in a moment. And this is what God wants to do in and through us, that he wants us as his people to have kingdom narrative in this moment. That we don't answer questions like Joshua was expecting, but we begin to declare and to reveal what God is doing. I'm expecting for your, your, is it a 40 day, no, 40 day parent fast? I'm expecting for God to speak so that you can declare over your city. We have to know that we are bigger than what we seem to be. Bigger, much bigger. You are appointed here by God. You are assigned to the city by God. The more that the city is in the news, for whatever reason, you are the revelators of Christ here. Don't don't think, oh, maybe a bigger church has a bigger role. Have you read your Bible any time in the recent couple of years? The most, he picked Israel because they were few in number. They were not mighty as an army. And they were insignificant. And he says, perfect. Just what I'm looking for. So that all of their victories will be glory for me. This is how God works. Obscure. Always in obscurity is where God begins to come and and reveal himself. So Life Center, New York City. You were called for such a time as this. For the city. Thank you, Lord. That has multiplied impact around the world. Thank you, Lord. The primacy of what God speaks to us becomes the canvas in which we cultivate the atmosphere for heaven to invade the earth. We have to hear this mo- in these moments, God, what are you speaking to us as a church? It's not just for the organizational function of your church. What are you speaking to us as a prophetic people here in New York City so that we elevate the word of God, what he's speaking to us at this moment, this primacy of the word of God spoken to us becomes the canvas in which we cultivate an atmosphere for heaven to invade earth. This is your responsibility. I'm grabbing a hole for uh, for. Harrisburg, to be the keystone state in this moment, in this election, in this time frame. What, and your responsibility primarily is for the city, for the state. Thank you, Lord. What is God speaking that we can declare? What is God speaking that we can align? No, I've come as a commander. Oh, I'm following you. I had my questions. I had my options, but this is way better. I know a book that's a famous Preacher wrote, pastor wrote, the third option. I'm, i got to tell you something. I don't believe in the third option when it comes to angelic and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. When Jesus shows up, are you kidding me? Are you going to tell him that his is the third option and that's a good option? It's not a third option. It's the only option. There's an old Pentecostal call and response. It goes like this. God said it. I believe it, that settles it. Have you heard that? Any of you heard that old saying? It was pretty popular back in the day. But I got to edit that for us at this time. 
Or something is amiss in that, in that context of how it should work. Here's what we believe. God said it. That settles it. The, other, the old option is God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Somehow I am not involved in the settling of God's redemptive purposes on the earth. I get to come alongside of him. I get to align my heart and my mind to him and with him. Thank you, Lord. And every time he shows up into our lives, he changes the language, he changes the narrative because the questions and the narrative of our culture from the very beginning until now is, is, is purpose, it's demonic. It's meant, it's crafted perfectly in order to test us and to trip us up. If we use the language or the narrative of our culture at this time, I will guarantee you, you will miss it. You'll split your church. You're going to miss it, family, you know. But if in that moment, if we're like, God, it's better to say, I don't know. But when I do know, I'll be shouting it from the rooftop. There's a story I want to quickly jump into. In John 8. And I want, I want us, as we're reading this this story, I want us to apply what is happening in our culture at this time. Completely different context, but use the, the scenario to help, one, heal our own hearts and our minds and what we've been battling. So the story is, now, John 8, verse 2 on. Now, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And they go on. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? You see, they brought, they, they, they were watching Jesus. They realized that he's answering the scribes and the Pharisees and responding to all of their questions with great wisdom that superseded their, their very questions. And they, they, they wanted to test him. That's what it says. The, verse 6. They, then they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. We've all heard the story of the woman with the, with, 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 uh, in, caught in adultery. For the scribes and Pharisees, she meant nothing in that moment. Apply it in our, where we are as a, as, a, as a people. The issues that we're dealing with, for the scribes and Pharisees, she meant absolutely nothing. They brought her to him, threw her at his feet and, and wanted to test him. Wanted to find something that they could accuse him of in his answer. Because they found the perfect question. What they thought was a perfect question. Jesus, look at this woman. The law commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Can you imagine if Jesus answered according to what they asked? She, of course the law says, no, I'm, I, I can't say anything against that. Stone her. But stone her gently in love. 
Or should he have said, no, of course not. You can't stone. I've been, I've been preaching love. Just embrace her. They would call him a blasphemer of the law. Are you with me? They brought her to him not to learn or not to be, not to, so that with that answer they could follow Jesus. It blatantly says they asked through this poor woman at his feet in order that they could find something to accuse him of. This is so demonic and we're in that same kind of atmosphere right now. Poor people are being dragged through the streets in order that they could accuse either political party or the church or anyone who means well. Come on. Jesus did not respond to them according to their language or their narrative. And I love how he responded. I mean, I love his personality so much more. And they said testing him that they might find have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Come on. Come on. Oh, we're going to have shawarma for lunch today. I've been out here teaching for a while. He's messing with them because he knows their heart. He knows where that question is coming from. And he stooped to the ground and wrote as if he didn't hear them. And he sets the scene. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, cast the first stone. And do you know what he did after? And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. It's so dramatic and so beautiful. I don't know how long they were asking him, but he was just writing out as if he didn't hear them. But then he got up, looked to them, gave them the narrative of the kingdom of God for that moment that was for that woman. Come on. They didn't care about the woman, but their fault, their mistake, their misstep was throwing that woman at the feet of Jesus. Come on. There are people today that are looking for the revelation of Jesus at our feet. What is the language that we have? What is the response that we have? What is the narrative that we are carrying that is careful for her in that moment? Come on. We've been given narratives. We've been given this is the right thing to do. If you say anything against this, you're in fear. But there's a better narrative. There is a kingdom narrative in this moment for our nation. And they were trying to trip him up with the question of the law. And the commandments, little did they realize that he himself was the fulfillment of all the law and commandments all together. And they threw her at his feet. Here's my simple thought about why he lingered as if he didn't hear them. And 
spoke the narrative of the kingdom and went down to writing more. Because see, in that moment, she was experiencing redemption. She was experiencing her shame, her guilt, the, the, the accusations were all falling off of her as she lay shameful at his feet. And he says, we're going to take our time right now so she can experience the full freedom that we have in literally in his presence. And they were secondary in that moment. And all he had to do with one statement, with one sentence, he changed centuries-old constructs of their understanding of the law and the prophets and the commandments. In one statement. Come on. And in the same time, advance the kingdom of God into this woman without even speaking to her. Then those that heard it, being convicted by their conscience. You can have as many narratives. You can have as many websites. You can have as many parades and protests and riots. Whatever is going on in our nation. You can have all of those things. But you cannot, ex- you cannot escape the conscience that God has given us within who we are. Our life and our decisions may have changed and formatted our conscience in a certain way. But at the When we ask, when we reveal the kingdom narrative, it speaks right to the core of our conscience. They came with law and prophets and commandments. They came with Pharisees and scribes. Are you with me? There's a lot of language. There's a lot of ideology. There's a lot of belief systems. But when the narrative of the kingdom of God is presented to them in one question, it goes right to their conscience. They could not find even one answer in the 360 some laws that they brought to him to ask. And this is beautiful how it ends. Being convicted by their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when he had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, this is so beautiful, woman, where are those who accuse you? Has no one condemned you? She was a woman caught in the act of adultery. That's a whole other story right there in itself. You see, when we reveal Jesus in and through our lives, it's better to say nothing until we have that word of life in the moment. I was speaking with a pastor a couple couple of weeks ago in Allentown. He's a significant Hispanic pastor in that region. And I've begun to handle the the politics of our nation at this time so as as a... as my role, my priestly role, my prophetic role can be activated when, when and how God wants to. I don't have a political platform. But I had a powerful ministry time at this Hispanic church. And we went out to lunch with the pastor and his wife. And 
we had lunch for three hours because we were in, engaged in one of some of the most meaningful question and answers. And I was like, I'm not well prepared to answer all of these questions. We kept talking back and forth, back and forth. And the word of wisdom came to me in a moment. And he began to, he began, tears came in his eyes. And he says, you've just changed my whole paradigm for my life and for my family, for my ministry. He said, I've been considering before the Lord, should I run for mayor of the city? But I have been held back because there's so much tension that I'm carrying for a whole people group, a whole demographic. And I wasn't preaching politics to him. It was a word of God that came in that moment. And he, everything just aligned. It's like, have you been to a chiropractor before? I have. I've walked in like this. You can ask my wife. We've led teams, mission, mission teams where my back was to completely out of whack. I was walking bent over. They had to put me on a, on a luggage cart at the airport and, and roll me to the airport, to the plane. And for a month, we were driving stick shift in Israel and other nations. That can wreck your back. But in a moment, I've gone to a chiropractor and come out. In a moment, God is able to change. If we are listening, he who has ears, let him hear. That was how he presented the last, the word in Revelation to every church in every city. The word is for the church in the city. If you have ears to hear, I will speak secrets to you that haven't been spoken yet. You could have answers for your city. Thank you, Lord. In the same way in Matthew 22, just so you know, I won't spend time on this. I'll close soon. Matthew 22, same kind of setup. But when the Pharisees, uh, Matthew 22, 34 onwards, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We've heard that question. But have you considered the context? They knew that he had silenced all of them. And they gathered together. What should we do? Man, he has wisdom for all of us, all of our priests and our, our elders. And they said, let's send him our lawyer. <laughs> Nothing against lawyers. <laughs> because lawyers are well versed in the, in, the, in the way of being able to handle an answer, unexpected answer. They can handle any angle, right? At least what I see in movies. You know how to think from few, quite a few different, different vantage points so that when an answer comes that you didn't expect, you, can, you have something like rebuttal. You can, you can respond to them confidently. That was their plan, their master plan. They sent, he silenced all the Pharisees and scribes. They gathered together. Yeah, let's send the lawyer. He's the best one among us. And he, a lawyer is one who asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And he asked that. It says, he asked that testing him. May we in this moment have the mind of Christ. May we have the language of heaven. Yeah. I want, this is like a warning. Don't, don't get trapped in the narrative and the language of our culture right now. Don't find yourself in any context trapped by the language and the narrative. By the questions that are posed in a certain way. I'm literally talking about word after word. The, the way sentences are, are formed in asking us questions. Don't get trapped in that moment. 
Because no answer will be good. Thank you, Lord. We belong to his kingdom, not by, our, not by name alone, but by nature. And we're looking for the moments, God, reveal yourself. What a profound question he posed a throng of people. When they brought legally, legally, scripturally, brought a woman to her, to his feet. May we have that kind of wisdom in this moment. And I'm not saying may we have as if we can't. We're called to have that level of revelation and wisdom for the questions. Thank you, Lord. And I'll end with this Philippians chapter 4. Instead of finding sides... Here's, here's our guideline that is written, and may he speak more, to build this mindset, to build this narrative. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever, th- I mean, t- truth is one of the most important commodities in our nation right now. Truth, not my truth, not your truth. Truth, absolute truth. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, and as we begin to have this filter for things that are unfolding in our nation and will continue to get more intense in the weeks and months to come, may we have this filter. Is this truth? Is this noble? And in that context, I can say, man, this is not an expression of nobility for a policeman to have his knee on the neck of a person. This is not nobility in the way that I see rioters looting streets and businesses. You see, I'm not taking sides right now. I'm speaking from a filter that I know this is not true. This is not noble. Whatever, finally, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just. If you apply these, these few thoughts to our nation, we can find that path that Jesus is walking on. Thank you, Lord. There's a pastor that says, so that your footsteps will become our pathway." That's what we're looking for at this time. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue. Do you see how he's extending this flow of thoughts? If there's, I mean, forget those, if there's any virtue. These are things right now I feel the spirit of revelation is here to renew our minds in him. To reset our minds in him. Fear has no grip on us in this moment. None whatsoever. Because we're part of that revealing of Christ. For many like the adulterous woman. He's looking for Christ. He's looking for those that reveal Jesus in our nation right now. Thank you Lord. If there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on this. Why don't you stand to your feet? I just want to speak.
and speak this over you as a church. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just put your hands up. Put your hands on your, ma- on your head, representing your mind or your heart or your eyes or your ears. Man, I wish I had more hands. I need all of them. Thank you, Lord. Wherever you need that resetting, wherever you need that re-renewing, Wherever you need the kingdom of God to come and begin to write mysteries in the soil of your own life to reveal the kingdom narrative in that moment. God, we ask that you would come right now. That in this moment, you're not bothered by chaos all around. You're patient with us and you're writing with your finger in, on the, in the dirt of our own minds and our hearts right now. In Jesus' mighty name. God, I repent for taking political sides. I repent for taking sides when I haven't turned to you yet. When I haven't asked you, God, what are you doing in my heart? What are you doing in our nation? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And allow him. I'm going to read this over you. And I want the word of God to wash over you right now. In Jesus' mighty name. All of the chaos, all of the intensity that you've been engaged in. Here in this city, with your family, with, with, at work, wherever you are, with relatives, with considering politics, considering whatever. Let the word of God pour over you and wash over you. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And may now the God of peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your mind. In him. This is a context in which that verse is written. Philippians 4. Thank you, Lord. This is the answer for us. Thank you, God. God, we receive it. We receive the washing of your word. We receive the re- I feel it so strong. We receive the resetting to be kingdom people. Kingdom people rooted in the mercy, the sheer mercy of God for our nation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 